The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard, The Watcher. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook. We're, we're at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. You can retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and be sure to leave comments there. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to stick around to the end of the episode. We'll have your listener feedback on our recent episodes. And I want to tell you about another show on the network that you're sure to enjoy, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, where you can find that at sqpn.com slash mysterious or wherever fine podcasts are found. All right, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of The Watcher? Last time, the gang flew around the sun and ended up in 2024, after which Agnes tricked the Borg Queen, while Rafi and Seven went to Los Angeles, where Rios was promptly injured and arrested by La Migra. This time, Agnes's subconscious figures out that they have only three days before history changes, so time is short. Also, the Queen starts working on a plan to seduce Agnes into being assimilated and offers to assist the team if she and Agnes can tell each other stories. The team needs the help because La Migra is going to permanently disappear Rios and the transporter's not working. So the Queen fixes the transporter in exchange for conversation with Agnes. Meanwhile, Picard also goes to L.A. where he meets a younger version of Guinan. It turns out that Guinan isn't the Watcher that we were told to look for. However, Guinan does introduce Picard to the Watcher, an alien body-hopping entity that possesses people one after another. And the real Watcher, the original form of the Watcher, seems to be Picard's Romulan would-be girlfriend, Laris, from the 25th century. Meanwhile, Q also is in L.A., but when he tries snapping his fingers, his powers don't seem to work. The oh, end. Oh, oh. And then Corbin Burnson shows up to admonish him. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so we speculated last time where the 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 ship La Serena crashed, and I thought it was a Chateau Picard, and we get that confirmation of that. I also thought it was Chateau Picard. Yes. Uh, so, Father Corey, you were I'm wrong. I'm the one who was. I, I was the one who was wrong. <laughs> Let's just call it out now. Father Corey was wrong. Sorry. I'm Father wrong. <laughs> I quit. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're told that um, during this period of the 20th, 20th and 21st century, the Chateau was unoccupied, that during World War II, the Chateau was occupied by the Nazis, and the Picard family survived in the tunnels below a Q Chekhov's tunnels, not that Pavel Chekhov, but the sense of the tunnels are going to be important at some point, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and then the Picards Maybe. went to England after, during the war to escape. And that's, that's explaining why... Picard's accent. Yep, yes, exactly. After they just retconned the... his accent. 35 <laughs> years later, we've we've retconned McWhite's Picard British. Uh, now we know. And, and that was totally unnecessary because it's it's 500 years from now and, or 400. And yeah. Accents develop in 400 years. Believe (laughs) me, take it from one who knows, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it was never that big a deal. I mean, I think we all just kind of whatever and moved on. But uh, it's it's funny that they they did that. So and uh, so 
Picard and Agnes are sheltering in the abandoned chateau. Uh, it's too cold in the. Okay, let's let's talk about this. The life support <laughs> isn't working in the in the uh, La Serena because they don't have enough power. Except they have enough power to transport and yeah. do all, put on the cloaking device. They don't have enough power for the heat. How hard is it to heat up a coil? Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, they say something like they're waiting for the auto repair to to finish. So maybe you know, maybe they're they're trying to say that it's not they didn't have enough power, it's that the life support isn't working. But still, it's just like okay, but the ship crashed and the external cloak wasn't damaged. So in the twenty fifth century, it still takes forever to get a tradesman to show up and fix your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I have flashbacks to the last fall when my house repairs. Anyway, um, Agnes, is, while they're 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 in the chateau, they lit a fire. She's subconsciously remembering the date when it, the timeline changed uh, as the fifteenth. So yeah, they, she she picks. She we don't see this happening, but in retrospect, Picard tells us that Agnes touched fifteen beads on an abacus. Mm -hmm. She picked out the fifteenth volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica that they have in France for some reason, instead of the Encyclopedia <laughs> Francaise. Um, and she also got a bottle of Pinot Noir from nineteen fifteen out of the wine cellar or something. So. She says, look at you, Dixon Hill. <laughs> right. Yep. Not the last Dixon Hill reference in this episode, by the way. We'll, we'll, we can get to that at the end. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we, they've landed on April 12th, 2024. And now, given the penchant for TV shows to kind of want to be real time with the audience, mm -hmm. even though it's, it's two years in the future from us as we're watching, I have a feeling that we're going to be stuck on this uh, in, in the 2024 for a few more weeks in yeah. our time, mm -hmm. a few more episodes, yeah. um, which also maybe, might maybe maybe many. <laughs> right. It also might yeah. explain the split uh, discovery season and the overlap, that weird overlap that they had, because Picard had to start on a particular date, the season, season two, in order to, you know, have that mm. lineup. I'm guessing that that's just, mm -hmm. it just feels so that guys were not. We don't need you to do that. Just <laughs> run the show <laughs> as normal. Uh, well, still, I mean, if, if they if they let's so they've got they've got till April 15th mm -hmm. to change time and assume they change time so they don't need to be in 2024. Well, that's that's only, you know, a little more than two weeks away. So if we were if we were two or three episodes left in 2024 and then we move on, actually, I would be happy about that. Right. As opposed to we're going to be stuck in 2024 till episode eight or nine. Right. I was, gonna, I, I was afraid that it was going to be basically the rest of the season was going to be 2024 until the last episode and they solve things and poof, they go back to normal time and life yeah. is good again. They could even do a Voyager on us where they they don't solve the problem until the very last minute. and then. Mm -hmm. We get no denouement, no post-climax. They just beam back to the 25th century and see everything's normal. And we have no dialogue and no exploration of how everything's <laughs> normal in our heroes of triumph. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. We did it. The end. The end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if I had my druthers, we'd be we'd be back in the 25th century now. But, you know, it's yeah. that's the way it is. Um, so so before before we go further, let me talk about my favorite moment in this whole thing. OK, this is uh -oh. the best moment in the whole thing. OK, is is when and I'm I'm guessing y'all may agree is when Seven and okay. Rafi are on, a, are, are on a bus. Yeah, I just in, I just whispered the bus in L.A. <laughs> and and there's a guy playing a boom box with this with the song that sounds oddly familiar. Yeah. 
but isn't quite the same. The yep. song yep. we're listening to now is I Still Hate You. <laughs> and and they look over and there's this punk guy, an older punk guy. And they're like, could you please turn that off. And what this is, is a callback to Star Trek Search for Whales, right. where Kirk and Spock are on a bus in San Francisco. And there's this punk guy with a mohawk um, listening t- with a loud boom box, listening to the song, I Hate You. And and uh, he when Kirk tells him to please turn the sound off, um, he flips Kirk the bird and and then Spock neck pinches him and and everybody cheers because the obnoxious sound is now off. So now we have Seven and Rafi on a bus in L.A. We're listening to this punk guy play really loud. I still hate you, which is just a rewritten version of the same song. And when they tell him to knock it off, he's like, Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I just really like that song. (laughs) And and he's totally humble and fine about it. And the joke is, this is the same punk. He's played by the same actor. It's the same actor. It's awesome. He's he's learned his lesson. And this is is just wonderful for a longtime Star Trek fan. Uh, same actor, same boombox, same. Of course, he's he's the one who wrote the "I Hate You" song, wrote and performed the "I Hate You" song. He also wrote and performed the "I Still Hate You." I still hate you. So it's all the same. Uh, that that was that. Yeah, that is the uh, the best the best scene of the whole episode. It is Star Trek fans uh, rejoice. Someone was complaining that the the new writers like don't know their Star Trek history, and I'm like, this this Picard especially no. is filled with references to old yeah. Star Trek. So is Lower Decks. Yeah. Discovery, you could make you can make the argument that yeah. they don't care. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Picard and Lower Decks both especially. Lower Decks is basically a, a love letter to fans. I oh, mean, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, but yeah, this one, I love that he's apologetic. And I'm sorry, I just really <laughs> like that song. I'll be quiet. <laughs> so, um, so now criticism time. Okay. Why doesn't the Borg Queen have nanoprobes? Why isn't she assimilating them all right now? Uh, didn't they give a line of dialogue a couple episodes ago when, yes. like, before her execution, that they'd stripped her of her nanoprobes? Yes. Yes, it was. It was. It was one of those things, like a background announcement from the computer that nanoprobes removed or something like that yeah. when she was still yeah, in they, the stasis they, pod. That great, but it needed to be more prominent because yeah. otherwise you have audience members who miss the background line wondering about this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. That is. It's it's one of those things that a lot of uh, series forget when they have these long arcs where, where it's a multi-episode arc is you've got to remind people of of why something obvious isn't happening if you've not really hammered it home mm-hmm. so the boar queen does try to get into agnes's head uh using this longing for connection through assimilation it's interesting how they've developed this idea of, of assimilation being kind of like an addiction sort of a siren mm-hmm. call mm-hmm. uh once you've well, tasted that- it that sort of came in with Voyager. Yeah. Because yeah. after Picard was assimilated, he didn't have any, oh man, I wish I was in the collective stuff. Yeah. But um, but with Seven, it was like her coming off of, you know, crack or something. Right? Yes. Right. And, um, and they did kind of, he did have residual effects of the assimilation. Like we saw, we see throughout TNG, they have a couple episodes that deals with that. And then, um, of course, first contact, he hears the collective. 
at points. Yeah. So, right. I mean, there were residual effects, but yeah, it wasn't like an addiction. Yeah. I, I do like initially as they're, um, as you know, the queen is trying to seduce Agnes into being assimilated again. Um, Agnes, you know, like turns her back and starts walking away and uh, for, for the night and, and says, have fun plotting or whatever poor queens do. Yeah. <laughs> Agnes does get a few uh, good quips and lines uh, throughout. It is pretty good. So the uh, Picard ends up getting transported to the coordinates for the Watcher, and that they bring him. Unsurprisingly, no no one except Picard is surprised that it's ten forward in Los Angeles, the bar that he was at yeah. before, and Guinan num, num, number ten Forward Avenue. Yes, which brings up a question of it does. of. <laughs> Do we have a bootstrap paradox here? Why would they name part of the... I mean, on the Enterprise, the reason the bar is called 10 Forward is because it's on deck 10 in the forward section. Yep, right. And why would that be named after a street, after an address in Los Angeles four centuries earlier? What's going on there? It made sense in the 25th century that Guinan might have you know, bought a bar at this particular location or got somebody to rename the street or some silly yeah. thing. But yeah. it doesn't make sense in the 21st century at all. It just, oh, it kind of, yeah, it is a bootstrap par- bootstrap paradox and it doesn't make any sense, especially given the timeline problems where that 10 mm-hmm. forward probably doesn't even exist any, you know, in the 25th yeah. century of this timeline. So, yeah. I mean, and the thing is they could have used the same bar. It could have looked the same with just a different address. Right. It, I mean, it did that, and that would have solved the whole issue, not even the whole concern. Right. It wouldn't have made any difference at all to the story. Because I, I could see Guy and you know, having a, a peak of nostalgia and saying, you know what, I'm going to buy, you know, get off the Enterprise. I'm going to buy my bar back. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Mm-hmm. And um, then change it to 10 forward. Yep. On the other hand, young Guinan has a bottle of Saurian brandy in the 21st century and a dog named Luna and a pump action shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Action Guinan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of like this young Guinan I, I, mm-hmm. better than Whoopi, frankly. I mean, I mean Whoopi's fine as Guinan uh, older, but this one, I don't know. I kind of like her, her vibe. It was really cool. Yeah. Feisty, of course. Yeah. And, you know, there's 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 kind of personality issue there too, where she's lost the bar for whatever reason. They don't really explain why, other than worried about people stealing from her. I I don't know if she's lost it so much as she's quitting. I think and, so. And, and this gets into I I I so I thought the actress was fine mm-hmm. in this as the young Guinan, and I didn't have a problem with him recasting Guinan. This is kind it's kind of interesting that they recast in the same series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, as they have Whoopi Goldberg, um, and I, I liked a lot of the stuff that um, that that they gave the young actress to do, like um, when Picard. I mean, at at first, when Picard comes in, it's she's closing up, and it's in the middle of the day, and she's like taking some stuff to donate. And um, and she's she's given up on this bar or something. And um, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with Picard. She says, you're too late to get a drink and too early to join the looters. And then he's he he she acknowledges he acknowledges that she's an Elarian. And at that point, she whips out the pump action shotgun and pumps the action. And yep. points it at him. And it's very dramatic. And she says, like, in all the time I've been on this planet, only about five people have said the word, El- the words El Arian to me. And mm. um, and 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 so, 
okay, a little excessive, <laughs> but still fun, yep. you know, to see her in this kind of action mode. What I didn't like, and we may want to, we may talk, I, we may want to wait a little bit to talk about this, but this version of Guinan is way out of character. She yeah. may be an interesting character on her own, but she is not consistent with what we know mm. about the character of Guinan as previously established, which we can talk about more, but I don't want to interrupt all that. Yeah, I mean, because actually I did want to talk about that probably next, but because um, I think I know where you're going with that. But I did want to point bring up the point uh, which I first made and then I had uh, some explanations of why why this is this way. Why doesn't Guinan recognize Picard? Because as we know, in Time's Arrow in TNG, mm -hmm. Guinan met Picard in 1893 along with Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens and all that all that stuff. And so why wouldn't she have recognized him? And as Someone pointed out, including, I think, one of the writers uh, the, or the showrunner, uh, she wouldn't. That didn't happen because the Federation in this timeline didn't exist for Picard to go back in time, et cetera, et cetera. So we have that that little. Paradox. And and that and that makes sense, um, although it does raise questions about, well, then history's already been altered. If Data's head is not under the Presidio in San Francisco from Time's Arrow, Mm -hmm. History has already been changed. It doesn't it doesn't just change in 2024. And I presumably the answer to that would be correct. But the root that causes the ripples into the past. Yeah. Like Time's Arrow never happening. The root change is in 2024. So that's what they need to deal with. Right. Now, as as for the difference in Guinan, I think what you I, I'm, I'm going to guess what you're uh, hinting at is she's very. Uh, 21st century political preachy. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. The it, There's no way that Guinan, I mean, number one, despite her skin color, Guinan is not a human. Mm -hmm. she, she, she didn't grow up in a prejudiced, segregated society or anything like that. And so she's not coming with the same frame of reference. Then Guinan, so what we know about her character is she can navigate 1893 America with <laughs> right. grace. Yeah. Yeah. She obviously is not sweating every little time a racist looks at her funny. She's risen above that. She's in a, she's like Uhura in the original series. It's like, why would I care about a name that someone is using? I do. She's risen above that. And so um, if Guinan can navigate 1893 America as bad as racism was then, there is no way she should be flying off the handle in the 21st century and talking to Picard like the only people who can have patience are the ones who look like you, meaning white, not like me, meaning black. And it's like, OK, have a sense of pr I know I know that there's a lot of woke stuff that tries to exaggerate the degree of racism in our society today. And racism is real, but it is nothing like it was in 1893. No right. realism. Please have a sense of proportion. If this character is serene enough and self-confident enough to not care about racists in 1893, I mean, I'm sure if one really got in her face, she'd, you know, blast them or something. But if she's able to work with Earth Society in 1893, she can certainly work with her society in 2024. Right. Right. Well, they're obviously setting up, and I, I kind of forgot about this, is they're, they're obviously setting up that this is when Guinan leaves Earth to go back 
to her home planet to then encounter the Borg and be, you know, be a, a, a yeah refugee from the Borg. So it looks like the way they're setting it up is not that she just decided to go back home, but instead she got so fed up with humanity that she just gave up and left. Right. We get we get check boxes for climate, you know, killing the planet, the rich having too much and, you know, not spending any of their money to fix it. And then racism. And so we like all of these check boxes. Yeah. And this is why. So a couple of thoughts, um, as you mentioned, it's all over the map in in this episode, the preaching. And um, it wasn't as bad in the dystopian future because it's removed enough from our society that it doesn't clearly correspond to anything. And in 500 years, society can change in dramatic ways. But then if you go to 2024 and you're telling us this is before history has changed to the dystopian totalitarian future, you're basing it on two years from now. And it's, it, it, it is too close to home in the sense that if you're portraying things, if it, you're you're preaching directly at people today. It's not veiled. It's not under under an analogy of a distant time or a distant world or a distant culture. It's right up in the here and now. And you're preaching directly about now. And this is um, problematic. Number one, it violates Mark Twain's dictum that uh, fiction must never overtly preach. Because it interferes with the art, and wow, does it! And um, and second, you're only going to be affecting your. I mean, essentially, this is virtue signaling for woke people in the audience, um, because those are the pe- only people it's going to appeal to. Because others will recognize this is not our society today. You know, things are vastly better in 2022 than they were in 1893. And it it is just unrealistic to portray, oh, our society is the worst ever. Is No, our society is imperfect, but it is very far from the worst ever. Um, and it's not just with the Guinan stuff. It's also with the Rio stuff. Now, there is a great scene with the Rio stuff where Seven and... Um, and uh, and and Rafi have gone to the LAPD to try to find out where Rios is, and and you have both the uh, the desk officer and one of the people in the lobby misunderstanding Rios's name, and it's like <laughs> Crystal Ball is that a stage name? <laughs> it's like. Well, I don't know where they've got Crystal Ball right now. It's Crystal Ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's funny. That's good. But but then it turns out that they're, they're permanently disappearing people, you know, like in Argentina during the Dirty War. And this is too close to home. It's too unbelievable that in two years, America is going to be disappearing immigrants. I mean, illegal or not. That we, this doesn't, this is not, I mean, I can imagine rogue ICE agents or rogue law enforcement or rogue anybody, you know, killing a few people, but not as a matter of policy. Right, right. I mean, that's just so not where America is that it's unbelievable. And notice um, all of the, all of the, all of the ICE guys are white. 
And this is just woke politics talking here. Which is not um, reflective of the actual Immigration Customs Service. No, I, I, Border I, Patrol. I, 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 I had a debate last week and I met and um, I met an ICE agent who was there um, who wasn't Anglo. And just like in, and like in the episode um, uh, Border Mysterious Patrol World. Ghost mm-hmm. on on Mysterious World. I mean, the the guy who's the central figure in that episode was uh, Luis Santiago. You know, he was Hispanic and he was a he was a he was a he was a Border Patrol agent. And the agent I met confirms the ghost stories about him are true. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> we have to talk more nice. about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it can't, can't identify anybody, but he confirmed the stories are true. Um, but in any event, this is all just unrealistic paint by numbers, woke virtue signaling propaganda. Yeah. It is not yeah. art. Yeah. Yeah. It's disappointing. Uh, not unexpected. And frankly, Discovery does this a lot worse. But yeah, mm. I mean, the sanctuary I, I, districts I, themselves are a, are a bit of a stretch. But we we're dealing with those because DS Nine created them, and so right. we, we we have those now. But even that is a bit of a stretch. Uh, Father, Craig, I, I did get it. I did get a chuckle though, uh, as Guinan is railing about how we're destroying the Earth with climate change. She's driving a classic <laughs> Ford Bronco, beautiful <laughs> truck. I would love to beautiful have it. Truck, yeah. Which is a much heavier polluting vehicle than the new Ford Broncos are. So that might be a good start. Just to tr- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, by the way, I, I want to make it and speaking, uh, you know, from an artistic perspective, you can do engagement with issues like racism and do it successfully. You just can't be ham-fisted about it. You need to do it in a in a complicated, sophisticated way. Um, it's been years since I've seen it, but my memory is that uh, the 1947 movie Home of the Brave, so this is two years after World War II ended, um, it deals with racism in the military, but it's way more complex. And more recently, and I've seen this one more recently, um, Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. It has racism as a prominent theme in it, but he's telling a complicated story with morally complex characters, and he manages to not simply preach at the audience. He tells a story that is well psychologically textured, and so I I, I think you can do themes like, you know, racism or climate change or whatever you want to do. There are ways to talk about these issues in artistic venues and pull it off artistically. You just can't be so ham fisted about it. Right. It does. It's 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 really even just unnecessary because it has nothing to do with the actual plot of the story. It's just yeah. tacked on to the at least the Guinan bits it's, are it's tacked woke, on. It's woke fan service. Right. Uh, speaking of other f- actual Trek fan service, as Guinan and Picard are walking down the street to her truck, we do see in the background the 21st Street Mission. That's the one that mm. Edith Keeler founded in The Guardian of Forever. Uh, oh, so, missed that. Oh, yeah. I missed that one. Yeah, that was, was funny. That, was that story set in L.A.? I thought that was Chicago. Uh, I think it was L.A. But it's said, mm. it said, it's it clearly said Twenty First Street Mission. It was on a one of those pop up tents, and so it was like there was like a they were doing something in the street, serving food to homeless yeah. people or something like that. They, they yeah. could have expanded. Yeah, exactly. After her uh, martyrdom, 
Yeah. What, uh, what I liked is at the end of the episode, uh, Q is sitting in Jackson Roykirk Plaza. Yes. Where Jackson Roykirk was the inventor of the Changeling probe, or the, originally the Nomad probe in the episode Changeling. Right, right. Nice. I, I saw that. I'm like, that sounds really familiar. But yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And then uh, in the same scene, by the way, uh, the, uh, the Dixon Hill reference, since you mentioned that, the uh, young woman is reading a Dixon Hill novel. Uh, called uh, The Pallid Sun by Tracy Torme. And Tracy Torme is one of the writers of The Next Generation. Yes, mm-hmm. and wrote the original Dixon Hill episode. So yeah. that was, yeah. Um, so I just uh, I, I just noticed, too, there's another connection to The Next Generation that the Guinan's license plate on yep. her car is mm-hmm. S2E01, Season 2, Episode 1, which is when Guinan first appeared on TNG. <laughs> right, right. Um, so... Uh, okay, another. Let's talk about another reference. This is a not a Star Trek reference. the The LAPD building that Rafi and Seven come out of is the same one used as the precinct in the ABC TV series The Rookie. So I don't know if that's a real LAPD precinct that they use for filming stuff or what. But I, I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm waiting for uh, uh, Nathan Fillion to walk by in the background or something. That would have been really <laughs> awesome. That would be cool. Um, anyway, the. Uh, Police Captain Hammer, corporate tool. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Hammer. Uh, So Rafi and uh, Seven steal a police car. Uh, They're trying to access the computer to find out where where Rios is and then end up having to steal it. And the police, they hear on the police scanner, the police know the car is stolen, but can't seem to find them. Like they're driving around like crazy people through the streets of L.A. going the wrong way down streets and stuff like that. But there are no police cars around them for quite a while as they're as they're flying around it's like there are tracking devices in these things they know where the cars are yeah they have tracking devices in police cars these days yes yeah um, also i i like how seven does uh, executes a bootlegger reverse in the car <laughs> she does she's <laughs> so quite was, good that was fun also as they're about to break into the car so rafi continues to be very disturbed as in, in the wake of elnor's death and um, and she's very frustrated. And she said, as they're heading to the police car, Rafi is like, I hate everything. And seven <laughs> is. But you hide it so well. <laughs> and, yes. and 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 then um, she whips out a phaser that she's going to use to disintegrate the uh, the uh, the window of the police cruiser so they can get in it. And and seven is like, what happened to no phasers? And Rafi says, I have no idea how this got here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was some, some good dialogue. Yeah, I, uh, I do. I also like um, when Rios uh, speaking of good dialogue, I like when Rios is in ice detention. Um, they've got a big plaque on the wall with the Pledge of Allegiance and the American flag. And and Rios is musing to himself. I think he's speaking in Spanish at this point, but he muses to himself. They make you swear allegiance. That's hardcore. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say Rios is my I must be I think he's my favorite character in this series. I just really Uh enjoy all of his scenes. Um, There's a point where he's talking to the ICE agent and he's like, "Okay, let me let me come clear to you, uh, clean to you. And he starts telling him exactly what's going on about being a time traveler from the future and all this sort of stuff. And the guy's like, at first he's like really intent. He's like, Oh, you're just pulling my leg. I thought he was going for, you're a crazy person. Let's transport you to a hospital. But no, no, yeah. that didn't, that didn't happen. Um, so there's also another interesting reference. I, I think it might be a reference when Rafi and seven are breaking into the police car and seven's like, I, you want me to drive this? And 
Rafi says you can pilot a starship, but you can't drive a car. Uh, that's r- recalls when Archer and T'Pol mm-hmm. were about to steal a Dodge Ram truck in Detroit yep. in 2004, and they had a similar exchange. So I thought that was kind of an interesting connection. So Agnes has to get the board queen to help her fix the transporter so that they can save Rafi and Seven. Um, and so the 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 incentive is we're both alone, and so. I will chat with you in between crises. I will, you know, because the Borg Queen has no Borg in her head. Like she's right now she's, alone. She's suffering a separation anxiety. Right, right. Like, so, a, uh, you know, dog or something. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the end with Picard and Guinan, in order to get her, she will not help him find the Watcher. So what eventually convinces her is he tells her his name. Why does that work? Presumably, because since they've uh, they haven't established it on camera, but we know the intent is that they've never met. She has never met Picard before yeah. because 1893 didn't happen for Picard in this timeline. Um, so it doesn't literally make sense that him telling her his name would make any difference to her since she's already she already knows this guy is like from the future and he is aware of things he knows i'm an Elarian. he says he knows me in the future she hasn't cared about any of that so why would his name make any difference to her it, it doesn't make literal sense presumably the explanation is that this is related to what they've given a name to now which is the time sickness that she experiences with divergent timelines that Picard says your experience uh, earlier. She, she actually hurls yeah. um, when she first meets Picard and he says, you're experiencing Afkelt or time sickness that your species can get when something has happened with the proper flow of time. And so presumably when he says, my name is Jean-Luc Picard, that resonates enough with her subconscious awareness of other timelines that mm-hmm. it makes her take him seriously now. Exactly. Okay. So that gets going into. But that's just me doing the writer's job for them. Right, right. They didn't no, actually. No, it's, that's it. pretty much about the only explanation you can come up with is just by hearing his name. She, she has some connection like, okay, I do know you somehow, yeah. you know, there's some, some, point where i know that you're telling me the truth anyways yeah. be nice if they wrote that down somewhere but you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so that gives gets guided to explain that what he's looking for is something called a supervisor also called a watcher these are beings who are assigned to watch over the destiny of certain individuals and she admits that at least in this case they admit that's vague <laughs> like who does the assigning why etc et she says well, they're not got a expl- big clue coming up yeah right right yeah. um so she gets a meeting. She sets up a meeting for them. They go to a park. You know, she also warns him, if you're not the real deal, talking about the watcher to yeah. Picard, if you're not the real deal, she'll probably bite your eyelids off. <laughs> right. And Picard says, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and I wonder if that's literal. Um, so it turns out, as you mentioned, that the, the watcher can possess people and communicate through them, control their actions while they have like these white eyeballs to indicate to the audience that these people are being controlled. Um, and passes off Picard from one to the other from a little girl, which is like, that's that's the ultra creepy is when you have a little girl mm-hmm. who's possessed by an adult, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's like, cannot, that's the movie version of creepy. Uh, so to a hot dog salesman or a vending food, card vendor. Salesman, food vendor of some sort. 
to uh, just random dude. And then finally transports, not transports, travels him along to this other end of this tunnel. Yes, thank you. Um, To a watcher who looks like a human Laris. Like, as you mentioned, it doesn't have the the ears or the eyebrows. And And Picard recognizes and says, like, Laris. And then she grabs him. And we see this square cloud special effect that mm-hmm. transports them away. Which... And it has been immediately pointed out, this is very much like the transporter effect that was used by Gary Seven in the second season finale of the original mm. series, Assignment Earth. And right. in Assignment Earth, we learned that Gary Seven was a human who was raised on another planet, very distant, and had been assigned to Earth to help protect it. And um, and he'd been given, basically, this was a, a Gene Roddenberry ripoff of Doctor Who, because mm-hmm. um, you had Gary Seven as this advanced human, but from an alien planet with advanced technology, including a sonic screwdriver, Mm-hmm. Um and the ability to travel all at least all around the world and maybe through time through his magic box, which was a transporter set in his office. And in and so um but we've never had any further development of who was who was Gary Seven working for and you know mm-hmm. what was their agenda and things mm-hmm. like that. And so it looks like they're finally gonna pay that off, which I think is awesome. Yeah. It was a backdoor pilot, really, for yes. a series that never got developed. Because they Roddenberry thought that the series was going to be canceled at the end of season two, and so he wanted to have a backdoor pilot for his own Doctor Who knockoff. I wonder if they'll if they're taking material that Roddenberry had developed as part of this, and they're going to they're going to expound on it so that we'll get this this background yeah. finally. So and. To, to for those of you who aren't familiar with the same earth, like maybe Father Corey, because I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it takes place. I have seen this particular one. Okay, yeah. in the '60s, so it predates all of this. Uh, so the, the the Enterprise had traveled back in time, and there's a uh, an alien woman who takes the form of a cat, and um, and also Terry Gar is the human companion of Gary Seven yeah. as the Doctor, yeah. yes, as Doctor Young Terry Gar. Yeah, yeah, yes, that would have been a good uh, series actually. That would have been fun to see. So it's uh, it's interesting to see what where we're going with this. Um, so we so that's where the where we this episode ends with them and then we get to uh that scene of Q talking to himself in Roy Kirk Plaza um about being afraid to do something I'm not and quite not sure be, and not well it's deliberately ambiguous and we're told he's telling himself apparently even mm-hmm. though he's looking at this girl reading a book it I mean it's kind of ambiguous is he talking to her or is he talk is he talking he's talking to the air, mm-hmm. and it's it's a little unclear if it's to her, but we suspect it's really about himself. He's mm-hmm. saying this isn't you're you're not going to be able to do this. This isn't going to work. People are going to die, and fear is the uppermost emotion in your mind. And then he snaps his fingers to accomplish something, and nothing happens. And he yeah. says that's unexpected and unfortunate. Right, mm-hmm. right, yeah. The the, the quote is a. Uh, you can't do it and you know it. Oh, sure. You played the game for a while when, when nothing was at stake, when the only challenge was fooling everybody into thinking you had the nerve. But now it's real. The fear is choking you. Well, here's the truth. You can't do it. People are going to die. And now your fear, your doubt is the loudest voice in your head. Also, this uh, Q is the older looking Q. 
the yes. the, the actual the, how John Delancey actually looks right now in 2022, uh, as opposed to the the younger version that he made himself look um, earlier in this season. So that's interesting. So we'll see where we go from there. Um, any other notes on this episode before we get to our feedback? Father Corey? Nothing here. Jimmy? So um, when Guinan first meets Picard, she and he reveals he's an L that he knows she's an Elarian. She says, where are you from? And he says, France. And I couldn't help thinking of the Coneheads. France, we are from France. <laughs> we are from the south of France. We need dilithium to survive. Um, I was the, thinking of Hamilton. Uh, France? Yeah. <laughs> Haven't seen that one. Okay. Um, I also like in the car chase sequence with Seven and Rafi. Seven at one point says, what does yellow light mean? And Rafi says, go faster. <laughs> yes. yeah. And then, then, of course, what happens after yellow, um, Rafi is like, red means stop, red means stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that the car chase had some funny bits that it, uh, the, they're running around uh, trying to ex navigate city streets in a car. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, meanwhile, back at the barn, um, the queen is talking to Agnes and as part of cutting a deal with her, um, she, she, Agnes, like, I think accuses her of wanting to betray them. And the queen says, betrayal is just an anagram for believe me, which is a great line, but I'm going, that's not true. It's not a, it's not an anagram for believe me. And Agnes gets this expression on her face where she realizes the same thing. Yeah. And the queen says, poetry, dear, flair. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's like, this is the most casual, humanly relatable Borg queen we have ever seen. Yeah. She mm -hmm. is different than other Borg queens. Even the Voyager Borg queen was. Yeah. I mean, she was, yeah. She yeah, was more true. alien than this. Yeah. Um, then I I like a funny moment where so is part of the car chase they're they're chasing down Rios's truck that he's on his immigration truck, um and and to to rescue him and they're surrounded by police, uh by police vehicles, and the police vehicles like someone gets on a loudspeaker and tells Seven and Rafi get out of the car and it's at that moment they transport away. And it's like, well, they got out of the car. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yep, yep. Awesome. All right. So that's it for our discussion of The Watcher. Let's get to our feedback. Our first bit of feedback comes from Bennett on Facebook, who says, I'd love to hear you all speculate. Do you think it's a red herring that they chose to hide the identity of the Borg Queen on the Stargazer? Uh, we have a couple of feedbacks related to the identity mm -hmm. of the Borg Queen on the Stargazer. I would yeah. say, yeah, I think we have Chekhov's mask here. Mm -hmm. And they even called out its significance by having Agnes say, that's new. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I think when the mask comes off, we will know who the Borg Queen is already. Probably not going to be Annie Wershing, the actress that yeah. we're seeing as the Borg Queen. Now. No. Well, I'm terrible with recognizing voices, but I so I couldn't tell you who the voice was because there's that, that last point where she says, Picard, look up, which is what, what Picard's mom always said to him. Yeah. And it's it's it, it, the voice changes at that moment from the the Borg you know multi voice to just the single voice. And the actor in that scene in the, in that episode is very conspicuously uncredited. 
in mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. credits. So if it were just Andy Wershing, I think they would have just credited her. So I feel like that's that's a significant clue as well. Um, and relatedly, uh, uh, we also got another piece of feedback from Kevin on Facebook. The Borg Queen on the Stargazer is almost certainly not the same one as the one they're traveling with, as they made a point of hiding her face. So they clearly intended to be something shocking. That she says, look up, suggests it's someone Picard knows. Speculation, based on what we've seen so far, is after the first episode, it looked like it might be Picard's mom, which would have been eye-rollingly terrible. I now th- I'm now thinking the strong hints mm. of a connection between the Borg Queen and Dr. Gerardi mm-hmm. suggest it might turn out to be mm. her. Mm-hmm. Possible. That, that's interesting. It would be an interesting fate for Dagnus. Could, could be either one of them. Which would yeah. then explain why they want to, they're petitioning to join the Federation and be the kindler, gentler Borg. Yeah. Um, and given her connection to Bor- cyborgs and androids and that sort of stuff, all, yeah. all interesting. Borgism with a human face. Yes. Mm. Um, the next feedback comes from Mark on Facebook. Something that occurred to me when y'all were discussing the sanctuary districts and the bell riots, it could turn out that the watcher is Ben Cisco. After all, Cisco is a prophet and the prophets aren't bound by linear time. And they could easily, easily recast the role with someone other than Avery Brooks. So, well, that's true. They could recast with someone other than Avery Brooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be an interesting way to re And the last we, I mean, Okay, so the last we saw of him, he was going off to be with the prophets, and mm-hmm. so he could come back with a different actor, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, and there would even be the potential explanation for the recasting if they wanted to use it. The difficulty with that is Deep Space Nine is widely considered the best of the star of the original Star Trek series, and frankly, of all of the Star Trek series, mm-hmm. and Avery Brooks has a lot of fans, and it, if you if it's if you if you just recast Avery Brooks, I could see some fan pushback. Yeah. And I, I just don't feel well. I mean, obviously, we have a different turn, you know, who the watcher appears to be at the end of this. I mean, yeah. doesn't mean they can't be wearing yeah. a face or whatever. But also, I just don't feel like they're going to cross the streams in the sense of like all of the cameos in Picard are Picard are TNG cameos. Except you know? for seven. Oh, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Right. What am I thinking? Yeah, Seven is a Voyager cameo. So that that kind of kiboshes that. So they could. Okay. Well, but she's more of a regular character, too, though. She's not just a, a yeah. cameo, cameo, like Guinan or somebody like that. Or yeah. Riker so. and, and Deanna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but I just feel like it's unlikely. It'd be like having Archer show up. You know, it's, it's, I feel like well, unlikely. And there's, and there's not even to say that uh, this this character that looks like Laris is the actual watcher either yeah just the person that you know she might be the one taking picard to the actual watcher so right. i mean there's still that possibility but obviously they, they if there is the watcher then they obviously they've closed that right. door i think they said this is my real form or something like that mm, yeah yeah i'm not sure yeah anyway i might i might missed any kind of right language uh, like that so so our last bit of feedback comes from Jeff from Texas, who sent an email. He said, I've always been a sci-fi fantasy fan. And while Star Wars is my favorite space fantasy, I really enjoy Trek 2 and have seen most of the series. I started your podcast when I decided to rewatch Discovery's first three seasons leading up to four. Oh, boy. Why I put, my, <laughs> why I put myself through all of season three again, I have no idea. But your commentary made it enjoyable. Oh. I have been <laughs> I have been listening to your back catalog and other Trek series as well as watching the animated series episodes you've covered, which is the one series I've not seen before. 
I appreciate the humor, analysis, and Catholic perspective on these series. I've written this in between episodes three and four of Picard, so this theory could be blown up after the next episode, but I wanted to speculate on Q and the Watcher the Borg Queen mentioned. I wonder if Q did something that changed the timeline by mistake, and the other Q forbade him from directly interfering. Q's solution, then, is to visit his go-to human, or android copy of his favorite human, to get him to fix it. Could the Watcher be another Q choosing to live apart? The obvious answer is that it's Guinan, but I'm not sure. The series has liked to roll out cameos, so if it's not Guinan, I'm reasonably sure it'll be someone we know. No matter what happens, I hope we're not stuck in 2024 for more than a few episodes and get back mm. to some trekking in the stars. No matter what, I'm grateful for this and the other SQPN shows about my favorite sci-fi. So we've got some new data on The Watcher now. Um, in terms of Q, I, I'm, I'm, I am wondering about the extent to which the other Q are sabotaging what he's doing. Hmm. Uh, like in the, um, it wasn't Q who, but I, the one where Q loses his powers. Right. Um, and uh, on the other hand, I, th I saw an interview uh, in with John Delancey on the ready room hosted by Will Wheaton, where they talked about what Q is doing here and they didn't go into detail, but John Delancey indicated that he's fundamentally giving a gift to Jean-Luc Picard. And, um, and that will become obvious by the end that this is a personal gift from, from, from Q to Picard and um, that would suggest that Q has agency here, hmm. that he's not simply fumbling this, but that he's doing this for a deliberate reason in order to do good. Interesting. Uh, what if he's going to make Picard a real boy again? Maybe that would be I would be all in favor of that. Yeah, that would be a <laughs> wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, yes. And actually, in that Riker becomes a Q episode, he indicated that he could do that for data. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, so uh, I would be happy with that. But mm -hmm. I. And my guess is they won't do that because boldly having a robo Picard was the yeah. new thing for last season. It would be undoing the new thing. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, the episode you're thinking of is called uh, Deja Q. That right. Was, yeah. Um, I knew I'd heard of that episode before. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, is like Pun nothing intended. that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The Deja Q. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, nothing we saw in the Watcher episode actually contradicts anything that, uh, Jeff from Texas speculated mm -hmm. on. So it's mm -hmm. a, still an open question. Um, all right. So uh, that does it for our feedback and for our discussion. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including the Stander family, Ben B, Christopher M, Dean S, and Brent W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of this episode of Picard, The Watcher. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com or join our new StarQuest Discord community. You can find the invitation to join at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of Picard, Fly Me to the Moon. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. 
And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, je ne regrette rien.